Uh, for the rest of us, let's go ahead and grab our Bibles. We are continuing in the book of Ecclesiastes. Um, if you don't have a Bible with you, you should see a blue one in the pew back in front of you. We would love for you to open that one up. Um, one of these days I'm going to remember to do this. Joey, you got page number for me yet? 554. If you're in that blue Bible, we're on page 554. Ecclesiastes 553. Oh, get that guy out of here. Big mistake. 553. 553. Ecclesiastes chapter 2. Ecclesiastes is a book in the Old Testament towards the, the very middle, almost exact middle of the Bible. Um, <coughs> excuse me. And we would love for you to open uh, your Bible up with you. If you need a Bible, Maybe you need one. Maybe yours has fallen apart. Maybe you've never had one. Take that blue one home with you. Um, I'm so excited to tell you, church, that we gave away eight Bibles the last few weeks. Isn't that incredible? Isn't that incredible? We love, love giving away the Word of God. So please, if you need a Bible, if you know someone who needs a Bible, take that one. Give that to them. On page 553 in the Blue Bible, Ecclesiastes, we're going to start in big number two in just a moment. Um, okay. Now, gosh, this, is, this church is just all about the Chiefs lately, and it's probably my fault. Uh, last week, if you watched the Chiefs game, you had a heart attack, did you not? I have never been so angry and so happy all in the span of three or four minutes. Are you with me? If you're not a football fan, you're like, what are you talking about? The Chiefs were losing big time, and then they were winning big time in like three minutes. It was incredible. It was incredible. I get, when I get mad at the Chiefs, I was telling some of you this earlier, when I get mad at the Chiefs, when they don't do what I want to do, when they're not bringing me pleasure watching them, you know what I do? I don't holler or scream when I get mad. I do this. Good. I hope they lose by 100 points. They don't deserve to win. That's what I do. So I get real quiet. But then when they start winning, that's when I get really loud and embarrassing. Okay? I get, so if you want to see your pastor be embarrassing, we're going to try to do Super Bowl parties in the church, uh, around, uh, so please sign up for that later. If you want to see me get embarrassed, if the Chiefs make it, you're going to see it, so just sign up for that. You might be the lucky winner, get to see your preacher lose his mind. When they start winning, when they begin to bring me this kind of pleasure and joy that I'm seeking, then I start jumping up and down, screaming and cheering, and my little girls were watching me, what's happening to daddy? And then once they figured out it was a good thing, they started imitating me, right? They saw... Daddy was getting pleasure from whatever was going on on that football field, and they started jumping up and screaming and laughing. And even at that young age, they're starting to learn how to chase pleasure. Whether it's in a football game, whether it's in, I woke, woke my youngest one up two o'clock today, or two, two, she's two years old, woke her up early for church today, and I'm carrying her in. I go, man, you've been such a good girl lately, and she sees on her a bowl on our counter full of chocolate. And she goes, well, I guess I deserve a chocolate, don't you think? <laughs> Even at that young, she, she's pursuing pleasure. She's pursuing pleasure. So if you've been with us, you kind of know where this is going. We are following a king named Solomon, King Solomon, king of Israel. He was the wisest man on the earth, and he became the wealthiest man on the earth. And those things combined make him the most powerful man on the face of the earth. And so Solomon, being a wise man, he asked this question. He says, okay, how can I take all my wisdom and all my, my wealth and all my power? How can I take this and how can I use this to find real meaning in life? How can I find purpose in my life? How can I find something that I can 
stake my entire being upon. What can bring me that kind of joy? What can bring me that kind of purpose? What can do it? And so today, chapter 2 in Ecclesiastes, Solomon helps us see more about his experiment here. How can I find joy? How can I find purpose? He says, maybe, maybe this will do it. Maybe if I take all my wisdom, all my money, all my power, and I run full tilt after pleasure. Maybe that's what's going to bring my life meaning, satisfaction. Boy, is that a perfect question for our society, our culture? Seeking pleasure to find meaning? And so, before we start, let's talk about two terms that's everywhere in, in Ecclesiastes. Hebrew word, hebel. Okay? Hebrew word, hebel. Hebel means smoke. Hebel means emptiness. Hebel means fleeting. Hebel is like going out in a really early December morning, breathing out and seeing your breath. You know what I'm talking about? Does that breath stay there very long? No, just it's gone. Hebel. And Solomon has already told us, after his experiment was finished, he realized that everything under the sun is Hebel. It's gone. It's gone. And that term under the sun is important too, isn't it? Because Solomon says, let's, let's take God out of the equation and I'm going to do my experiment under the sun and I'm going to try to find what can bring satisfaction under the sun. And you know what he finds out? If you take God out of the equation, every single thing under the sun is smoke. It's like you see it billowing up over there, smoke billowing up. You think it's something. It looks like something. And as soon as you run to grab it, what happens? It's gone. But maybe pleasure is different. Let's see. Read with me, if you will. Let's check out his experiment in chasing pleasure. Ecclesiastes, big number two. You probably don't have a little number one, but big number two right there. We're going we're to read this together. I'm going to read out loud. You read it to yourself. I said in my heart, come now. I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this also was hebel, vanity, smoke. I said of laughter, it's crazy. It's mad. And of pleasure, what use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven. Another way to say under the sun. Under heaven. During the few days of their life. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds <coughs> excuse me, of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. I bought male and female slaves and had slaves who were born in my house. 
the Bible does not condone everything it records. Are you with me? The Bible does not mean just because it's in the Bible, God does not think it's good. Sometimes the Bible records things and goes, look how evil the hearts of men are. Are you with me? Let's continue. I had also great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. Ecclesiastes chapter 2 is rated PG. Okay? Let's continue. Verse 9. So, I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me. Get a load of this. And whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure. For my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was hebel, vanity, smoke, and a striving after the wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. Okay. We say this every week, right? Welcome to church. Right? Pretty... Ecclesiastes' job is to take us on this roller coaster and go down, 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 down till we see reality for what it really is under heaven without God. Okay. Solomon continues his experiment by chasing pleasure. Come now, heart. He's talking to himself. Come now, heart. I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. Come here, heart. See it's like, I'm going to put my heart on the table right here. Come here, heart. Come here, look. See everything that is done under the sun. Do you see it all? Go for it. See, heart, I've got all the money in the world. Nothing can stop us. I've got all the power in the world. Who could say no to a king? Do you see it? Go for it. Whatever you want. I'm rich enough to get you. I'm smart enough to get it for you. I'm powerful enough to get it to you. Let's find pleasure and that surely will make my life meaningful. If I'm just a little bit happier, if I'm just a little bit more pleasurable, pleasured, if my surroundings are a little bit more pleasurable, surely, surely then my life will have meaning. Maybe we're in the wrong passage today. I don't know. <coughs> and what and whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep it from them. Who do you think about when you when you hear that verse? I think about like celebrities with more money than sense. 
rock stars. Just unbelievable power and wealth. I kept my heart from no pleasure. Here you go, heart. Here's everything. Everything under the sun. Go for it. What's his first stop? His first stop is, he says, well, the king, being a king has lots of worries. Being a king has lots of stress. So before I can really truly pursue, pursue pleasure, I'm going to have to dull that a little bit. Are you with me? So my heart sought wine to try to bring lasting joy. Maybe wine will do the trick. Certainly it's the first place to start. And he says, I'll drink just enough to cheer my heart up and have a good time. But I won't, I won't get drunk. I'll keep, I'll keep my wisdom because I'm doing this experiment. I'll not totally let wine take over. I'll keep a clear enough head to be able to evaluate if I'm really finding satisfaction. If I'm finding lifelong purpose. Because perhaps the problem is my mental state. Maybe I just got so many, so many worries. Anybody here got worries? Got stress? Maybe wine will help dull that. Maybe wine will help me forget some of my worries, some of my stresses, some of my regrets. Perhaps then I can lose this feeling of purposelessness. Maybe just if only for a moment. Maybe I can lose that feeling that everything is smoke. That didn't quite work. So I'm going to keep wine in the picture. I'm going to let that kind of grease the wheels a little bit on my pursuit. But... Heart, come here. here what, what's, what's the problem now? Well, man, your palace, Solomon, it's a little bit shabby when it comes to kings. I mean, did you see the guy in Egypt? You see his palace? Your palace. Your environment is what's holding you back. This has nothing to do with you. It's those people around you. Or it's your, your house. Or it's the size of your TV. It's the material things around you. Or it's being in the city. I just can't. Solomon just can't. I can't get any peace in the city. So what Solomon does, what Solomon does is he takes on his environment as a king with no restrictions, with unlimited budget. He says, I'm going to change everything about my surroundings. He built houses and pools and parks and gardens and forests and vineyards and Riffraff like you and me, we're not involved. These are not public pools. This is a pool designed for one man. And he says so. I made, I made, I built for myself, I made myself, I made myself, all throughout those two verses. That's a country club you and I aren't getting into. And so after he t- when he talks about all these things he's building to try to make his environment in such a way that he can really find lasting pleasure, when he describes it, the Hebrew and the imagery that we read must point us to the Garden of Eden. Parks, 
and gardens. Do you notice this? And fruit trees and pools of water. Very purposefully, Solomon is building the second garden of Eden. He's building paradise. He's got his palace here and it's gigantic and it's full of gold and silver and anything you can imagine to put in your environment. And then outside are pools and gardens and vineyards and all this stuff. And, and then all the riffraff can stay out here because it's, it's, it's not about... So it couldn't be me. The problem with pleasure couldn't be inside me. It's got to be in all you people. If I kick you people out far enough, If I can build the Garden of Eden, I'll be fine. What a silly thing. I would t- I, I'm sure I would do things differently in the Garden of Eden. You ever think that? Man, Adam and Eve blew it, but I would be the one. You ever think that? Solomon, you dope. Might punch me in the nose when I see him in heaven, but... Solomon's heart told him that his environment wasn't good enough. If only he could make some changes. So, uh, surely then, life-altering pleasure awaited. How often do we accuse the things or people around us of stealing our joy and our pleasure? We are miserable and we blame others. We are miserable and we blame our surroundings. If only I had a nicer house. If only I had the perfect man cave and I could, all the girls in my household could stay over there and I could come in and I could watch football and I could do whatever and close the door. Then I would be truly happy. My wife's up in children's church, by the way, so don't tell her I said that. <coughs> if only then, only then, if only they did the dishes, I didn't have to come home and see the dishes in the sink. If only the kids would pick up their toys more often. If only somebody else contributed more at work. If only I could move out into the country. If only I could move outside of the city, then I would find peace and pleasure. If only I could move to a bigger town, then I would find the pleasure I'm looking for. Didn't seem to work. Heart, come here, heart. Everything under the sun. Well, Solomon, well, Solomon, I think the problem is you've got too many responsibilities. You can't find real pleasure. You've got too much stuff to do. So, Solomon, what I want you to do, I want you to go out and buy male and female slaves. You need somebody who can take care of everything that you don't want to do so you can really pursue pleasure. You're the king. You don't need to be wasting your time working or cleaning or cooking or gardening. You don't need to put your own clothes on. Have somebody else do it. You don't need to draw your own bath. Have somebody else do it. The Bible does not condone all that it records. Solomon, in his pursuit of pleasure, was evil as he purchased human beings so that he would not have to raise a finger unless he wanted to. And then, how heartbreaking is this? 
and I had generations of slaves born into my household. There's only one hero in the book, folks. That's Jesus. Wicked. If only I had fewer responsibilities. You're just working too hard. If you had fewer responsibilities, you would find that lasting pleasure you were looking for. If only you didn't have to go to work. If only you didn't have to do that one task at work that you just hate. If only you could pass off more to somebody else. If only my husband or my wife would do more at home. I'm doing everything. If only, if only they could do more at home, then I would surely be able to find that pleasure and find satisfaction in pleasure. That didn't work. We now enter into the PG-rated version. Time of our time together. Hart, come here. Everything under the sun. What do you want? Solomon, I want sex. And I won't have to wait for it. I want it with whomever I want, whenever I want. Nobody is going to stop me. Solomon says, I got many concubines, the delight of the sons of man. We know from 1 Kings 11 that Solomon had a big problem with sex. He had 700 wives and 300 concubines. And he had wives from the pagan nations. And God warned the Israelites and said, if you marry someone who doesn't love God, they will take you away from me. And that's the end of Solomon's legacy. Is that his wives lead him astray. Solomon sought total uninhibited sexual experiences. What woman could deny a king whatever he wants? Heavy heart. We should read this with a heavy heart. 700 wives, 300 concubines, every quality Solomon's heart desired he could have. Shape, size, hair color, skin color, personality, nationality, whatever was desirable to him, he had her. Concubines, if I were to define that, this would go from PG to rated R. Concubines, the original language, PG'd, PG version, women, perhaps seized by warfare that were seen as only good for sexual pleasure and exploitation. There's only one hero in the book. That's Jesus. If only, is this our culture or what? If only I could have as much sex as I want with whomever I want, whenever I want, then I will find the pleasure that is satisfying. Is that not our culture or what? Don't tell me the Bible's not relevant. After a long pursuit of uninhibited, unstoppable, 
overwhelming pleasure that would make the most frivolous celebrity blush with shame, what did Solomon discover? Does pleasure make life worth living? And let's understand, if anyone could judge pleasure, it was Solomon. Not you. Not me. The wise man and woman look at Solomon's experiment and says, I don't have to try it because he already did it. Are you with me? That's part of the reason this is in the Bible. So you and I don't have to pursue these things and find them to be smoke. There's no one more capable of answering this question of whether pleasure makes life worth living than Solomon. If pleasure could bring lasting eternal satisfaction, Solomon would have discovered it. And Solomon's conclusion is this. I kept my heart from no pleasure. See? Everybody heart, heart, whatever you want. I kept my heart from no pleasure and behold, all was smoke. And striving after the wind. Striving after the wind. What a great phrase. Man, such a poetic phrase. Striving after the wind. Herding the wind. There's pleasure. I'm going to herd it. I'm going to try to scoop it up, put it in my pocket. As soon as I grab it, it's gone. It won't bring satisfaction. Oscar Wilde, famously dedicated to pleasure, says this, Life cheats us with shadows. Maybe he might say after reading Ecclesiastes, life cheats us with smoke. We ask it for pleasure. It gives it to us with bitterness and disappointment in its train. Solomon's conclusion. Pleasure under the sun is smoke. It is Chasing pleasure is like chasing the wind. It's like herding the wind. You will chase it and Never catch it. Wine. The cheer your heart feels from wine will fade and the worries and problems and stresses will still be there. Wine does not bring lasting happiness. Beautiful surroundings. A better environment. Beauty. Cleanliness. Better people around me. Better houses around me. Ignores what the real problem is. The problem with my satisfaction is not out there. The problem with pleasure is in here. Being served is the same thing. If only I had fewer responsibilities. If only I could do less work and concentrate on leisure and pleasure. The problem is pleasure itself, not in the amount of pleasure I can find. When you retire and strive after pleasure, spend your entire time striving after pleasure, you will find zero satisfying pleasure just as you did when you had a 9-to-5 job for 50 years, however long you worked. Sex. If only I could have more sex with different people, then my life would surely be complete. The man who had a thousand women dedicated to his sexual experience said sex is not 
does not make your life worth living. What a countercultural statement. Are you with me? It's a risky one to shake your head on, I know. The brave ones among us did. Pleasure will leave you empty. Oh, great! Oh, great! A sermon about God being the fun police. Just what I was looking forward to. Oh, great! I invite my friend and you're going to tell me about God doesn't want us to have any fun. Oh, great! A sermon against sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Oh, great! My grandma's favorite sermon about no dancing, no movies, and no card playing. Oh, great. My great-grandfather's favorite sermon about no sex, no drinking, and no running around with people who do. Oh, great. A sermon about God not wanting you to feel good. The biblical stance on pleasure is this. Are you with me? Are you ready? Biblical stance on pleasure is this. God is ferociously dedicated to giving you unbelievable pleasures. God wants you to have a higher pleasure than any drug dealer, pornographer, chef, movie producer, theme park owner, sexual partner, interior designer, or liquor store owner could ever imagine. God is so ferociously dedicated to giving you pleasure that He created the world in such a way that all this two-bit, phony, fleeting, fake pleasure offered by the world is chasing after the wind. God designed the world so that all this pleasure under here is chasing after the wind so that you will seek real pleasure. And that's found in Him. Are you with me? It's not an accident that pleasure is smoke. God made pleasure smoke so that you would find real, unbelievable, lasting pleasure. That's why he designed it that way. So was Solomon wrong to ask if pleasure makes life worth living? No, he was right. Pleasure under the sun does not make life worth living, but pleasure with God makes life worth living. God is so for your pleasure that He made the pleasure of the world smoke so that you would find real pleasure in Him. The purpose of mankind, in fact, the purpose of mankind is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. That's why you were made. That's why you were created. To glorify God and enjoy Him forever. And the more you enjoy God, the more pleasure He brings to you, the more He is glorified. So God is going to spend an eternity for you, Christian, being glorified by bringing you more pleasure. That's heaven. That's eternity. As your pleasure increases, you glorify Him more. Back and forth. Back and forth. <coughs> so this means your grandma was wrong. Pleasure is good. Sex is good. Sex is a gift of God to a married man and woman to solidify and strengthen their relationship in joy. It's what it's for. It's not just about procreation. It's about a married couple's joy. That's how much God cares about our joy. In fact, God so cares about our joy, married couples, God so cares about our joy, He commands us to have sex. Do you ever think you hear that from the pulpit? 
Speaking on sex, the Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7, do not deprive one another, except perhaps for, by agreement for a limited time. So that you can devote yourselves to prayer, but quickly come back together so that temptation will not grab you. Are you with me? Proverbs 5.19 says it like this, Let her be as the loving hind and pleasant roe. Let her breasts satisfy thee at all times, and be thou ravished always with her love. That's the Word of God. Are you with me? Are we, are we Bible people? Or are we just part, partly Bible people? We're Bible people. Folks, this, I, I, I'm tired of, having, of counseling marriages where they tell me they haven't had sex for a year and a half. I'm tired of those meetings. Now, single brothers and sisters, sex is good, but it does not make life worth living. Are you with me? It doesn't. Don't buy in to the world that says sex makes life worth living. Brother, single brothers and sisters, sex does not make the top ten list of the glorious things God has given us now as His sons and daughters. Are you with me? Wine is good. Wine is good. How do I know that? The Bible says it. Are we people of the Bible? Wine cheers God and men. Judges 9.13 Psalm 104.14-15 You cause the grass to grow for the livestock and plants for men to cultivate, that He may bring forth food from the earth and wine to gladden the hearts of man. God created wine to gladden our hearts. Now, I know what we're thinking. Can we take that too far? Absolutely we can. Drunkenness is sin and it is evil. Are you with me? Wine can be addicting and dangerous, but Scripture is clear and we are people of the book that God did not create wine to be for people's evil. He created it for good. environment does god not want us to have beautiful things no god created man and woman and put him in a paradise he didn't put him in a desert he didn't put him in a blank walled room he put them in paradise put them in paradise so pleasure is good but pleasure wasn't designed by god to carry the weight of our whole lives pleasure can't carry your life it's a good thing. But it, if we jump on pleasure thinking that it will carry our lives, it will collapse and cause disaster. When we ride pleasure so it will carry our entire life, it collapses and causes massive destruction. Drunkenness, drunk driving, drug abuse, addiction, gluttony, pornography, sexually transmitted diseases, adultery, backbreaking mortgages, on and on and on and on and on. Riding pleasure like it is everything will cause disaster. 
taking the good things of God, riding them, worshiping them, will bring disaster. We see that in Solomon. My goodness, do we see that in Solomon. The dude owned slaves. Disaster. The dude had a thousand people that he wanted to have sex with. Disaster. Brought him away from God. Among other things. How many families suffer due to mom or dad's reckless pursuit of pleasure? Pleasure under the sun is flimsy. It is broken. It is fleeting. And when we ride it, it collapses under the weight of our hopes and expectations. So, pleasure is good. Pleasure is good. Pleasure wasn't designed to carry the weight of our whole lives. So what is pleasure designed for? Pleasure was given by God so that we might enjoy it, be thankful for it, and look for an even greater pleasure in the pleasure giver. In other words, pleasure exists so we can take pleasure in the pleasure giver. The purpose of mankind, again, is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. Romans 2, 4. True lasting pleasure is only found at the right hand of God, in the presence of God. Psalm 1611 says, You make known to me the paths of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Forever. So, the pleasure is up there, but I'm down here. The pleasure is with God, but I'm a sinner. And with my sin, I will never be in the presence of God and find those indescribable pleasures. So in God's great mercy, in God's great love for you, He sent Jesus to die on the cross, taking the punishment for your sins so that if you repent, if you turn from sin and turn to Jesus, however imperfectly we do that, when you turn to Jesus, you will be with God forever. And where is pleasure? It's at God's right hand. So, we could, there, there are many, many things that Jesus brings us by the cross. One of the most important things that we don't talk about is that in Jesus' death on the cross, He purchased for you unbelievable pleasure forever. Are you with me? Are you skeptical? Are you skeptical? Ephesians 2 says this, through repentance and faith in Jesus, God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages He might display the surpassing riches of His grace demonstrated by His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. Jesus died for many reasons, one of the big ones is to purchase for us the riches of God's grace for the ages and eternity to come, demonstrated by the kindness that He has in Jesus. You still skeptical? This has been Jesus' message all along. His first miracle was what? Turning water into what? Grape juice. No, wine. Wine. Why? Why did He do that? He was at a wedding. They ran out of wine early in the wedding. Disaster. Social faux pas. They could never recover from that socially. 
So Mary comes to Jesus and says, you've got to do something to fix it. Jesus brings out jugs of water. What does he turn them into? Wine. How far does he fill it up? To the brim. What's the message? Those who come to Jesus will have pleasures unending to the brim. To the brim. Luke 15, the prodigal son. Two sons. The youngest son leaves the father. I wish you were dead. Give me my money. He goes, pursues pleasure in the city. That leads to a disaster. He wants to come back. Oh, maybe dad will take me back and, and I could be a slave. And he comes to dad who is God and he starts to say, will you just make me my slave? And dad says, stop talking, stop talking. Bring, bring the robe. Bring the, the ring. Uh, make a feast for this boy because he was dead and now he's alive. And they go in and they start partying. And the older son comes back and he's grumpy. And what does the Bible say? The Bible says when he turns the bend, he hears music and dancing. Hears dancing. How awesome must that party be that you could hear the dancing from across the way? Jesus has come to bring pleasures to His people. The presence of God is better than a million of earth's best parties. On, the mount, on this mountain of the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well refined, and He will swallow up death forever and wipe away the tears from their faces. Heaven is going to be a party that you cannot even imagine. Malachi 4.2 says, But for you who fear My name, you shall go out leaping like calves from the stalls. Like calves that were all pent up. Like our lives here, we're looking for pleasure. We can never, we're like pent up. And then when we enter in the presence of God and see the pleasures that He has for us, it's like we are young calves seeing the sunlight for the first time. God is for your good and your pleasure. From His fullness, John 1.16, we receive grace upon grace. In Him, Ephesians 1 we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our sins according to the riches of His grace that He has lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. So, our choice is clear. Pursue the pleasures of this world and be left wanting. Pursue the pleasures of this world and risk your soul if you preserve the pleasures of this world, you're not going to look for the pleasure provider. Risk your soul. Or turn to Jesus, accept His forgiveness and His grace, and patiently wait for the unfolding of pleasures that you could only hope to imagine now. That's the choice. C.S. Lewis says it this way, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go about making mud pies in a slum because he can't imagine what is meant by the offer of a vacation by the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Let us not sacrifice 
infinite pleasure for the mud pies of this world. Seek Jesus.